Do you want me to do the music? I don't I need to be upfront about it. Just let me find the music. No, no, I'm, I was a legitimate question. The love boat. Bullshit is everywhere. I'm not really into jabby jabby. And 30 minutes later. Oh, God. I can do it all day long. Bullshit. Oh, I was thinking white people. Sorry, I feel bad now. Don't fuck up. Don't fuck up. Don't fuck up. Don't fuck up. Too late for that. Uh, welcome <laughs> to the Bullshitville episode 61. I was just telling Ray off air yes. that I had two hours sleep and I wanted to tell the story on the air. So, uh, you know, get to bed midnight as usual, uh, lay there yeah. reading uh, right. for a half hour, hour, uh, currently reading Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness up to the good bit where nice. he gets to meet Mr. Kurtz and it's all going crazy. But um, go to sleep. A uh, couple of hours later, maybe two thirty, three, no, about two thirty, about an hour, hour and a half later, Fox comes into our bedroom as is sometimes he's want in the middle mm-hmm. of the night. Uh, crawls into bed with us, and we're like, oh, all right. And then about an hour later, Chrissy wakes up, and we try and move him to a spare mattress that we have in the room, just like a little sort of two inch high thing that we flop down and smart to get him out of the bed because there's no room for three of us in the bed. It's just a queen size bed. Anyway, he's like, oh, no, I don't want to go to the mattress and the blah, right. blah, blah. <clears throat> anyway, so he's awake. I'm awake. We're all awake. 3.30 in the morning. Get, <laughs> get him on this mattress. Chrissy falls back asleep. I can't get... Once I wake up, I can't get back to sleep. So That's it. I pull out right. Mr. Kurtz, and I'm reading Mr. Kurtz again. And uh, uh, Fox is lying in this thing, and he's not asleep. And, and all of a sudden, I hear him going... You're wondering who I am, secret, secret, I got a secret machine, how many cans, secret, secret, I got a secret, with parts made in Japan, secret, secret, I got a secret, oh. I am a modern man, I got the secret I've been hiding under my skin. I'm like, seriously, you're singing Mr. Roboto at four o'clock in the morning? Like, whose son are you? Oh, mine. Oh. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Chrissy said she... Yeah, uh, she she went to. She took him to a local um, uh, fruit and veggie store uh, the other day, right? Uh, and there's a little playground they have attached to it, like next door to it, little undercover things. Great for kids. Oh, nice. So she leaves him in the playground while she goes into the shop, and there's a bunch of other kids his age nope. just playing with the other right. kids. Um, it's just like it's like literally, you know, it's 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 attached to the fruit and veggie store building. They've built it like in a little laneway next to their fruit and veggie place. Yeah. Um, she goes back to pick him up 10 minutes later and he's got these other kids and he's going, he's, he's talking about uh, the Beastie Boys and Toto's Africa. Today. <laughs> so uh, he says to this girl, do you, do you know, this is a girl a couple of years older and she's like seven. He goes, so do you know Africa? And she said, oh, it's a continent. And he goes, no, <laughs> no, no, no. The song, the song by Toto, the greatest song ever written. You know, you know, you know. <laughs> Uh, let me have a few, let me have a few bars for you. So basically, as a parent, your job, your work is done. You've taught much. him the basics. He's ready yeah. to go out into the world now. All yeah, he, all, right. he, all he needs to know. Uh, <laughs> my book's out, Ray. Uh, I saw yes. you posted Woo! a thing of you pretending to read it. Uh, yeah, apprehensive. Yeah, because yeah. you can't read. Oh, 
Mm. What? Well, that's why I got the audio book. Side note for those who think about getting the audio book, it should or does have sections of me in there, pretty mm. much like the podcast. If it doesn't, sue to get your money back. I, I, I'm I'm actually coming out. I want to come out with a version that the entire audio book is read by you, right. but it's the yes. soundboard reading you. Uh, soundboard <laughs> reading the book. Together. Soundboard of you reading the book. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, no, there's no audio book yet. Wait, I did you... ask my publisher for an update on that, and they said, yeah, I'll get back to you, which means that yeah, they haven't done anything about it yet. Uh, so if you want to read it, you got to buy it. Uh, and then you can buy the audio book again later on is basically my advice. Um, but one thing, i tell you one <clears throat> fun thing. I was posting up a storm about the book yesterday. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Reddit. TikTok? I'm TikTok even. Posting yeah. stuff about the book everywhere, just trying to get find one person who gives a shit. And um, right. I found that there was a couple of psychopaths uh subreddits so i posted a link to it there and then a few hours later i go back one of the subreddits is actually um uh, made up of psychopaths it's like a community oh, of psychopaths right. and right. as you might <laughs> guess their right. reaction to it was, was you know exactly what you'd expect from a bunch of psychopaths <laughs> Your book fucking sucks. You're gay. This is horrible. What? Who the fuck are you? How do? How you, what do you think you know about psychopaths? You're you're an idiot. Um, they were just paying it, and and I thought, oh, that's actually kind of awesome. Um, it's kind of yeah. awesome that my book about psychopaths uh, was destroyed on site by a bunch of psychopaths. Bye. I was like, that's great. I, I want to go back in there and go. Well, thanks for proving my case. Uh, do you, my work here is anybody done. want to yeah anybody want to come on the show invite them on the show see if they can talk about it and yeah uh, well i yeah. am I, I i am uh starting a podcast about psychopaths i've got a couple of guests lined up but a couple of psychiatrists who work cool. with psychopaths i've got a, a, a the head of the uh, cfo uh chief financial officer association or something in the united states writes for forbes He's coming on to talk about psychopaths in the boardroom that he's experienced. Um, so yeah, we'll oh, nice. kick that off soon. A whole new world to, to discover. That's yeah. cool. Me yeah. interviewing people who know psychopaths or are psychopaths. I've reached out to a couple of people who are psychopaths who have you know uh, uh, self-aware, admitted self, you know, uh, open right. public psychopaths. Invited but, them on. But we're not saying Tony's name though, right? <laughs> I'm <laughs> joke, yeah. joking, uh, joking. And he's about as far removed as from a psychopath. <laughs> yes, as I can imagine. He's he's the nicest nicest soul on the planet. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, anyway. Um, today I want to talk about the fires and I in Australia, and I want to talk about uh, the Soleimani uh, assassination and what's going on there. So let's get into it. Uh, with yeah. my two hours of sleep, I will uh, do my best. <laughs> This episode might end up being longer than the amount of sleep you got last night. But hey, <laughs> who's counting? Who's, who's watching the clock? No yeah, problem. Well, yeah, yeah. And you will sleep through most of the episode. So <laughs> that was somehow. Total power nap, Cameron. Mm. Power nap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm gathering that our Australian uh, fires of hell that's going on at the moment is getting a bit of coverage over there because I've had a flurry of concerned 
emails yes. and Facebook messages from Americans over the last couple of days. You okay? Uh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, nothing. Are you from, living in your car? Nothing from you, <laughs> right. by the way. I should point out, just a lot of other Americans. Can... Nothing, no, no <clears throat> concern from yeah. you at all. I can sense. I can sense when something's wrong with you. Right. It's and I didn't pick up anything, so. I figured you were okay. I did ask about your mom. I did uh, check in with her, but don't worry about it. I, I care. I care. Uh, uh, yeah. So I'm sure everyone's heard, but um, for those who haven't, Australia's been on fire for the last uh, month and a bit. Uh, it's kind of crazy, um, and I, I'm going to try and put it in perspective. And I know most of you don't give a fuck about Australia and, and fair enough but the reason this is relevant but you should well the right. reason this is relevant is because this is the uh we're, we're the early early, early warnings early warning uh absolutely alert for what's going to happen to the rest of the yeah. world <laughs> exactly. uh yes this of course yeah, this has been predicted by uh scientists and economists uh, climatologists in Australia that this was going to happen for the last 20 or more years. Uh, it's been poo-pooed and laughed at by politicians, particularly conservative politicians and their their right. uh, their, their, their supporters. Uh, climate change, uh, ridiculous. Uh, it's not real. Or if it is real, humans have nothing to do. We don't need to worry about it. So, uh, and here Beyond it is. our control. Yeah, it's not yeah, going to happen exactly. in our lifetime. And... <laughs> Here we are, Jesus. 2020, um, late 2019 and early into 2020, and it's here. Um, so this is, I, I think everyone around the world should be looking at this as, right, well, this is going to happen. Not necessarily, mm -hmm. your whole country may not be on fire, but it'll be other things, right? right? Other climate-related yeah. things that are going to happen increasingly yeah. over the next decade. We're here. We've landed. The, uh, the climate right. change eagle has landed. In Australia, at, at the moment, as of recording this, which is eighth uh, of January morning, the eighth of January, my time, um, the fire in Australia is greater than eight million hectares. Now, to translate Jesus. that into um, uh, uh, other countries' forms of mm -hmm. uh, measurement, it's twenty-one million acres. 84,000 square kilometres, 32,000 square miles. It's an area larger than many countries is on fire right. uh, in Australia. Destroyed over 2,500 buildings, including 1,300 houses, and so far has killed around about 25 people and about an estimated 500 million animals including Aww. lots of koalas right. and kangaroos and, and all those cute things that we love. Yes. Um, yeah. and, videos of, yeah. and in fact, that half a billion animals is just in New South Wales. That doesn't include Victoria and Queensland oh, Jesus. as well. So it's probably closer to, right. who knows, three quarters of a million um, animals dead. Uh, now... This happened at the end of record-breaking temperatures and a prolonged drought. Three years uh, we, we've been in drought yeah. in a lot of these areas. Uh, 36 months up until October 2019, we'd had a drought. As uh, Farmer Oscar will be more than happy to point out, ridiculous 
mm-hmm. uh, lengthy drought and record-breaking average monthly temperatures we've had. <clears throat> so the big the, the the big debate going on here for the last month or so has been uh, how much do these fires have to do with climate change? That's one of the questions. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And why is it so bad, the fires this time? And mm-hmm. did our governments, federal and state, uh, fuck it up, basically? Did they, did they right. cut budgets or did they not increase budgets enough? What could they have done to prevent uh, this? And what is the what will the cost to the economy be as a result of this? And what will the ecological cost of this be? We should look at it in in both perspectives. Yeah. Um, well, according to, like, you know, one of the things, so the conservative politicians, the conservative media and uh, the people that listen to them have been saying, oh, well, we always have fires. Scott Morrison, a.k.a. ScoMo, a.k.a. Yeah. Scotty from Marketing, because uh, he used to uh, run the... Right. He used to be the CEO... Before he got into politics, he was the CEO of the Australian Tourism uh, Body. Um, so mm, he's basically... Go back. One of our former prime ministers, the erudite Paul Keating, started referring to this guy as Scotty from Marketing, and it sort of took off <laughs> hashtag Scotty from Marketing. Um, that's how Paul Keating knew of him. In the day. That's Scotty from Marketing. Now he's the prime minister, and he's... <laughs> He's a fundamentalist, happy clapper, uh, 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 Pentecostalist, um, mm-hmm. sort of in the Hillsong orbit. Uh, plenty of like likes to have photos taken of him uh, in church, singing, praying, hands raised, which I know is yeah. is not unusual in your country for politicians to do oh, that yeah. kind of thing here. Right. You might as well. It's like painting a fucking swastika on your forehead and walking around. Like it's very weird. We we kind of right. know that there are religious people and religious politicians in my country, but we prefer it if they just shut the fuck up about it and don't talk about it a lot because it's kind of right. it's kind of embarrassing. Um, well, it's like your sexual orientation. Whatever you do in the privacy, whatever, that's fine. But don't don't flaunt it. I'm guessing. I don't know, but uh, partly that, but, but worse, yeah. I think too. I think. It, you know, this goes. This has always, for my entire life, this has always been the case. Like, if when I was at school, if there was a kid in school and they said, "Oh, well, I, you know, I'm a Christian," um, my instinctive response, even back then, was like, "Oh, really? You're one of those, huh?" Okay, well, okay. <laughs> over there, fine. Look, fine. There. Yeah, that's fine. Right. But, um, yeah, it's it's basically you know it, it, to me Christianity in Australia people admitting acknowledging that they're Christians, um, like look, I, I don't want to overplay this. Look, yeah, look, we got a lot of Christians, and you know everyone was a Christian in this country a hundred years ago, but by the seventies right. it was kind of a thing where, you know, you kind of had your. Well, yes, we're we're Christians because we were born that way, and you know, yes, we we go to church. On New Year, on Christmas Eve and whatever, we might right. say the right. occasional uh, prayer, and we tell you don't blaspheme. But apart from that, that's about it, yeah. right? Yeah. But the, for the people that are right. publicly out, oh yeah, out and proud about being a Christian, it's always been a bit of a weird thing I've found in Australia. Yeah. Um, it's kind mm. of like it's almost like saying, um, you know, well, I've got herpes on my dick. And you go, oh, okay, well. 
all right. Well, I'm sorry. not ashamed. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, yeah can yeah. you just put it away? Um, <laughs> put, it... put your Bible and your penis yeah. away, please. Thank you. <laughs> Um, anyway, so Scotty, uh, right. Scotty from marketing is kind of unusual. Although uh, in the last twenty years, we have seen an increasing number of uh, prime ministers, in particular, be very proud of their open Christianity, which is weird in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Scotty's Scotty's probably the most out and proud of all of them. Anyway, Scotty uh, oh. from marketing and his cohort conservatives are like, oh, we've always had fires in this country. Um, this is no yeah. big deal. And that is true this time of the year. Traditionally, we always have fires in the summer. Australia is a very hot, dry, arid sort of a country, uh, particularly in sort of the southern parts where Queensland's more tropical. Um, mm-hmm. right. But uh, this is unprecedented, uh, what we've got right. here. Um, to put it in perspective... In the past few years, the total area burned in New South Wales over an entire fire season, which is basically sort of December through to February, summer months, right, is about mm-hmm. 280,000 hectares. Over the entire summer period, 280,000 hectares. Right. Um, and already, as I said before, already we've got... million hectares on fire. Now, that's not all New South Wales, but New South Wales is a big chunk of that. So it's it's way, way, way. And we're only at the beginning of January. We've got another couple of months of fire season to go. So this is... The really hot months are still coming from what I read. I mean, it's just getting going. Yeah, yeah. Normally, January is is the hottest month, I think. So, look, this is... um, this is more than 10 times, literally more than 10 times, more than probably right. 20 times, getting close to 20 times worse than it's ever been. Uh, we did have some pretty bad fires back in the early 70s, um, very different conditions, different reasons for it. But th- this is, this, you look at a graph, I've seen a few graphs out there of uh, how many hectares yeah. burn every year. You look at this one, it's just like, off the off the fucking charts, you know, it goes off the page and onto the next page, and then down the side of your desk right. and across the floor. It's ridiculous. Um, and uh, you know, even if you're not on fire, uh, the rest of the country is just covered in smoke. This, yes. You know, every time I do a show with Sydney, uh, with Tony in Sydney, up in his uh, Sky Palace in Sydney, uh, lately he's like, <clears> yeah, uh, can't see the Opera House out of my window. It's just everything's covered in smoke country is covered in smoke people are buying gas masks the uh pollution levels in sydney and canberra and places like that recently has been up to 11 times greater than the hazardous level for human health 11 times jesus yeah i read one one article that smoke detectors in sydney have been going off even even though they're miles from the fire just because you know the smoke rises up it gets it drifts over and yeah it's it doesn't matter that you're not in it you're being affected by it but like you said once this is all said and done the real costs will have to be calculated but that's that's for another day well yeah and there are estimates already at what this is going to cost mm. um both economically and ecologically already and it's it's almost unfathomable um right. not to mention obviously the loss of 
life and and I've had I've got friends that have lost their homes uh which is obviously devastating for them although I, at least they didn't lose their lives uh, or the lives of sure. their family members but um you know in terms of the ecological costs by just up to the 2nd of January NASA has estimated that the the fires have released 306 million tons of carbon dioxide into the Jesus. atmosphere. Now, to put that into perspective, in a in a mm. normal year, over the course of the entire year, Australia's total carbon emissions is about 530 million tons of CO2. So the fires have released something like 60% of what would be mm. our normal uh, carbon emissions. Now, our normal carbon emissions total includes... You know uh, all the things you'd expect: coal mining and uh, coal burning for running energy plants, and cars, and mm-hmm. planes, and cows, and uh, all that kind right. of stuff. But uh, and fires would be included in that as well, but uh, nowhere near as big as this because we obviously the fires, as I've already said, are more than way more than ten times as large as they normally would. So our our carbon emissions this year are going to be astronomical at a time when we're supposed to be reducing our carbon emissions. Right. This is blown right. up. Now, to, on top of that, um, all of those, uh, all of the forests that would normally absorb our carbon emissions uh, yeah. are, go- are now gone. So we're right. releasing... Yeah. Millions of tons of extra carbon, and uh, it's coming from the forests that have right. burned down that aren't there right. to reabsorb it, um, exactly. and will take a long time to regrow. And, and then, assuming they don't just burn down again uh, and fall down into the swamp next time, so it's uh, it's bad, Ray. It's really, yeah. really bad. Well, l- let me ask you a couple of questions because you know it. I read as much as I could on this, but because it's a foreign country and because I didn't keep up with it every day, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of context that I'm not getting. Is um, Scotty from marketing, is he getting kicked around in the newspapers? Is is his negatives up? I mean, is he is he weathering the storm um, at all or, or is, is the majority of the country against him? I'm, I'm just wondering how. You know, because sometimes you can you can be mad about that, but right now people are worried about their homes and their families and their loved ones. But what's the political aspect or the political part of it right now for him? Is he is he just is he pulling a Trump and just saying, "Ah, I'll get over this, I'll be fine," or does he is he he's probably not admitting that he and others have fucked up? Well, of course, Scotty from marketing, when the fires started off and they were getting worse and worse in December. Right. Uh, he decided it was a good time to go on a secret holiday to Hawaii with his family. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Not his mistress, but his family. So he gets points for that. Okay. Just, no, because I was reading about, you know, like you said at the beginning of this, you know, seasonal fires. This is Australia. This happens all the time. In fact, there's articles going back to 1917 about people from a general area getting together and battling whatever fire was closest to whoever's house. So this stuff has been around and obviously it's a lot more organized than it was obviously back then. But the point is, I didn't realize that most of your firefighters were volunteers. I mean, if this is something that happens every year, it's a massive country. And if you do even believe a little bit of, um, 
global warming, you know it's going to get worse and worse. So I, I'm I'm wondering why the um, the whatever you call it, your fire department, your brigades, whatever, why those haven't been revamped or up ramped or, or just something over the years because uh, it costs too much money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just no, check. No one wants to spend money on that shit. Um, fires. So you have to. Yeah, that's right. right. I mean, it, it, it has been volunteered. Talking in rural areas, a our, our rural... Right, rural, oh, gotcha. Rural juror. Our rural <laughs> uh, fire services uh, tend to be volunteer-based. In the cities. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be funny if you did it volunteer-based in the cities. Imagine how well that would go down. Um, it's... it's uh, and, you know, it's it's because the fires in particular, they only they happen seasonally... Uh, they happen in random places. Um, right. So to have a, a yeah. professional f- firefighting force scattered around the country would, you know, uh, for nine months of the year, they'd, they'd have nothing to do. They'd be, you know, twiddling their thumbs. Um, sure. So no one's come up with a model for having them on standby just for the fire season, be able to ramp up and then... And, uh, and de-deploy them, undeploy. What would be the right word uh, to get them Deploying? to stand down? No, afterwards, after they're finished, oh, what do you oh, do? Oh, oh, stand yeah. down. Stand what, do you, down. what do you do with them for yeah. the next nine months yeah. of the year? Um, well, no one, no I, one's tried to figure that out, as far as I'm aware. That's a valid point. However, I just saw in the news. I think it was today. It might have been yesterday because you're a different time zone. That the government has already set aside or plans to set aside two billion dollars to help people who have lost everything. Well, you know, if you take a fraction of that and you put it into prevent, um, you know, maintenance or preventative uh, actions, maybe it wouldn't be so bad as it it is now. And I and I know I'm saying that with hindsight. I completely get that, and that goes against the tradition that Australia has as far as volunteers and not spending too much money. But the one thing I also learned today was that for years, uh, meteorologists, people who study this stuff have known about the what's called the Indian Ocean Dipole, which I'd never heard before. I'm going to be completely honest, but it's this massive weather pattern that is completely normal. It's been around for a very long time. And the way it works, it kind of goes in a clockwise motion. And so the east coast of Africa is just hit with rain. Parts of uh, Africa are just hit with rain and rain and rain. And the way when it comes, it goes through India and it comes back down and it touches Australia. It's, 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 if I can remember correctly, the air is... The air is sinking, so it causes a drought every day. Frightened of this thing that I've become. Okay. What were you saying? Okay. No, no. Let me let, let me try this out. I'll make it short and sweet. So there's rising air over the African part, which causes a lot of rain. There is sinking air over the part that touches Australia, and that creates the drought. And like you said, you've had a drought for three years, which is absolutely insane. That's completely normal. That's been going on ever since they've been studying weather patterns. The thing is, climate change is keeping that in place, but it's making it more and more extreme. So having known this, knowing that the drought was going 
going to get worse and it's only going to get hotter. And you said yourself, I think it was this week that Australia, as far as the average temperature all across the various cities, has broken a new record. So it's only getting hotter. It's only getting drier. It's time to change traditions and norms and, and invest in this stuff. And, and on the opposite side of that, places like Africa that get hit with this, the rain for them is only going to get worse. So you're going to deal with fires, and they're going to deal with flooding. And that's the new reality. That's the new normal. And we need to prioritize and get ready for that. It's just how it should be yeah and i'm uh, finished preaching now well of course ray there was no way anyone could have ever predicted uh, <laughs> that this would happen the blue. no one no right. one no one could have ever yeah. seen this coming that doesn't no that one doesn't no right. one except oh well except <laughs> for the fact that In two thousand in, in two thousand and seven, uh, right? Kevin Rudd, who at the time was the leader of the opposition, commissioned a report by Professor Ross Garneau, who uh, right. former ambassador to China, professor emeritus of economics, uh, commissioned him to do a climate change review study to come up with recommendations. Right. And then, not long after, he started this. Uh, uh, Thing, the, the commission, the report, uh, Kevin Rudd became the Prime Minister of Australia briefly until oh. Rupert Murdoch had him shot and buried out the back. But he did he did become Prime Minister and Ross Garneau came out with his report, um, I think, in, in 2008, uh, in which he said, uh, oh, yeah, it's going to, you know, our bushfires are going to get way, way worse by 2020. <laughs> right. By oh, he nailed it. He <laughs> nailed it. By 2020, God. the fire season's going right. to start sooner, end later, and get much, much worse. And uh, we've we got to be ready we for should. it. But, you know, apart from that, apart from the fact that the government commissioned a report by a guy who predicted it 12 years ago, no, oh, one, no, no one saw it coming. No one could have possibly have seen it coming except <laughs> the guy fucking told us it was coming. <laughs> Did they pull a Nixon and and make the report and then shred it? You know, like we did with all those drug, all those drug uh, surveys or whatever reports that he had put together, and then he would shred them. Did, I guess they just ignored it, or they no, said, "No, no, we don't well, have the money for it." No, no, oh, the, the the Rudd government, the Labor government, uh, was pro doing something about climate change. Tried to introduce a climate, a carbon tax, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. When they tried to do that, uh, worse than just shredding the report, Rupert Murdoch shredded the entire government. He just uh, <laughs> said, no, I don't think so, and uh, got rid of Kevin Rudd as Prime Minister, replaced him with <sighs> Kevin Rudd's uh, deputy, Julia Gillard, then uh, right. replaced her again with Kevin Rudd, and then replaced Kevin Rudd with Tony Abbott, then replaced Tony Abbott with uh, Malcolm Turnbull, then replaced Malcolm Turnbull with uh, Scotty from marketing. I don't think Power. I've don't think I've lost any. I've forgotten anyone. They might have lost. Yeah. I might have forgotten about a couple of prime ministers there. Uh, <laughs> it didn't matter. Sure. But anyway, yeah. yeah. But when the when the conservatives came in, of course, they threw it out. Climate change, bullshit. Don't believe it. Uh, quite frankly, and I've had a few yeah. people on Facebook say to me in the last week, I still don't believe in that. You know, climate change is real, or humans have anything to do with it. And I don't even, I mean, I don't even, I can't even. Uh, yeah. Basically, like climate... Anti-vaxxers. They're exactly right. like anti-vaxxers. Like you are just, yeah. if you don't accept 
the science behind climate change right now, you uh, you you might as well Denial. be one of these people who tells me that Jesus whispers in your ear every night. Like you're just in the to too fucking dumb yeah. to even bother talking to <laughs> camp. Um, on a one-to-one level, look, obviously uh, at a societal level, we need to engage these people because they're voting for cunts like Scotty from marketing and uh, who right. goes on holidays in Hawaii when his country's burning. People were saying to me at the time, well, of course, you know, he there's nothing he can do. You know, he delegates, he delegates, and it's true to an extent that the federal government doesn't fight fires in the States. It's the, the, the control of these fire... Del- services is delivered by the states and they're like well you know if you're the ceo of a company and uh you know you you like he you delegate i'm going yeah but if you're the ceo of a company and your fucking headquarters is burning down you don't go right. to hawaii and say oh well you know i let my my delegated yeah. it to my security guys they can deal with it no you, you're there yeah. no people your, right. your, your staff are dying man your post exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. fucking exactly. Like just the fact, and and he didn't come back from Hawaii until there was a huge outroar in Australia over the fact that finally, oh finally he caved in and came back. Fine. Like you would think. I got my tan. I'll come he's back. like, well, yeah. I got to take my family on holiday. No, you don't, motherfucker. You're the prime minister. If the country's burning down, you stand your post. Your As you say, you go. Sorry, family. Right. Uh, you know, why don't you take Jesus? Calls. And take Jesus on holiday instead. I've got to be here. Right. Uh, actually, leave Jesus here. He might come in handy. Uh, what? He, I, well, I, I prayed to end yeah. the fires and nothing happened? Well, fuck me. Well, that's... that's oh, shucks. What's well, he doesn't deserve a vacation. Mm. Well, any marketing person can tell you that, yeah, that it would look bad to abandon your post in a time of crisis, even if it's just a moral, um, you know, try to uplift the people and show them that you care. I mean, he did the exact opposite. So, obviously, he wasn't a very good marketer, but hey, what do I know? Now... Ironically, back in September, Scotty from Marketing gave a speech uh, to the United Nations about uh, Australia's uh, efforts uh, in regards to climate change. He said, Australia is taking real action on climate change and we are getting results. Uh, We are successfully balancing our global responsibilities with sensible and practical policies to secure our environmental and our economic future. A month later, mm. the country exploded into flame. And <laughs> in terms of the it's economic future, uh, some analysts are already saying that this could cost the economy $20 billion in lost output Jeez. on top of the cost Thanks. of the bushfires, which they're already saying goes into the billions of dollars. Uh, $20 billion of lost output, obviously, you know, fire, uh, smoke, people aren't... Uh, going to work or aren't uh, operating properly, or, you know, not not necessarily affecting people in white-collar jobs and offices, but everyone else. Uh, people right. on building sites, uh, places like that, uh, they can't operate when they, there's just all the smoke in the air. Uh, and uh, the mm-hmm. media coverage is wall-to-wall bushfires, so that's affecting the coverage of other stuff in the economy. All the trickle-down Tour- trickle effects. Yeah, well, and tourism, <laughs> yeah. Right. Kylie Minogue put out a great commercial. Uh, well, it wasn't great; it was terrible. But she put out a. It was a commercial put out by Tourism Australia, aimed at the UK. In the middle of all of this, come to Australia! It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> Warm, feel like fire. Yeah, Jesus. Um, so it's kind of ridiculous. 
Now, there's been a lot of debate over whether or not the government pulled back budgets, fire budgets. Um, and right. I've, I've read a lot of numbers for and against this argument that, you know, on one hand, people who are opposed to the current government saying that they reduced the uh, fire budgets that are allocated, particularly to the rural fire services. Uh, mm-hmm. Other people are saying, well, they didn't pull it back. They uh, It went up. Uh, last year artificially because of some capital expenses and then it came back down. Honestly, I I, I don't know uh, exactly where the facts lay because there's a lot of weird budget stuff and and costs being brought forward and pushed back and it's hard to get to the bottom of it. Needs a a bloody team of a thousand economists and a Royal Commission to figure it out. What I do know is, though I think it's quite evident, (laughs) that they didn't do enough. They should have done a lot more to prepare for this. We should have had a fleet of fucking planes and trucks and people and everything ready for the day when the country burst into flame. Even if it wasn't this year, if it was next year, we should have prepared for this. Ross Garneau told us to prepare for this 12 years ago. We haven't, yeah. and that and the the, the the fault of that lies firmly on the shoulders of our state and federal politicians, the leaders of the country, political leaders of the country have failed to prepare the country for what has just happened. There's no getting around that. That's yeah. they, they failed. Not just the current administration, but the previous administrations, uh, particularly conservative. I mean, Kevin Rudd was trying to do something 12 years ago, got knifed by Murdoch. So the, the responsibility for this should fall on Rupert Murdoch should fall on uh, the politicians and I would say on the media for not berating the politicians about not doing enough on this for the last 12 years. Uh, and also on our uh, our business leaders, particularly the fossil fuel mm-hmm. sector, that uh, oh, have yes. been putting a huge amount of pressure on the governments not to do anything significant about climate change and using their influence in the media to downplay the fears of climate change and their influence with Rupert Murdoch to to get rid of uh, governments like Kevin Rudd's. And I'm no fan of Kevin Rudd. I talk about him as potentially being a psychopath in my book. Uh, by the way, did right. I mention my book's out, Psychopath Epidemic? If you haven't uh, already bought a copy, please go buy yeah. a copy. Um, yes, please. I know you did, Ray. Your copy is coming. You actually bought a copy. You supported the campaign. I yes. appreciate that. I did. Um, exactly. And for people wondering, where's my fucking copies? Trust me, they're coming out to you. It's been... <laughs> It's been a nightmare getting my publisher uh, to uh, su- right. get that supported. Like, uh, don't get me started. Anyway, right. um, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, but you know, I, well, wanna, I was going to say, I want to point. Sorry to Kevin, I'm sorry. Kevin Rudd's yeah. replacement, the current Labor leader, Anthony mm-hmm. Albanese, or Albo, as he's known in Australia. We have Scomo and Albo <laughs> are our two leaders. When the when fires started to break out in November, right. Albo urged Morrison at the time to beef up resources to prepare for the fights. Ooh. He said at the time, the fire season is starting earlier and finishing later and emergency leaders agree that extreme weather events in Australia will only increase in severity and frequency due to climate change. This is in November, he said, we need to beef it up. But uh, ScoMo said, yep, yep, I'm on it. And he went to Hawaii on a holiday. Fuck. 
Well, the other part of that is when a reporter went to Sco, got in Scomo's face and said, did you know that your RFS, the fire run rescue crews, have been uh, crowdfunding for extra resources? And they, they said, did you know they were doing that? And two, don't you think volunteer crews need to be paid? Because obviously some of them have been out there for days, weeks. You know, I'm sure they're rotating them or whatever. But Morrison's reply was, uh, look, the volunteer effort is a big part of our national disaster response, and it is a big part of how Australia has always dealt with these issues so he does not want to professionalize he doesn't want to throw too much money at it because it's kind of that proud australian tradition of banding together it's not about money it's about helping each other but like you said the scale of this alone requires some serious reaction from everybody including the government yeah he was like nah fuck him um uh, sure. but these people you know volunteer they're, they're, they're putting their lives on the line during Christmas, yeah. during New Year's, time away from work, all that kind of stuff. Um, he initially, he was just, I think he ended up, did kick some money their way. But he, initially, it was that guy, oh, fuck him. It's funny, when he did get yeah. back from Hawaii too, he went to one of the fire-affected regions, walking down the street with a camera crew looking for a photo opportunity. He tried to shake some people's hands. They told him to get fucked. And he reached out okay. and forcibly grabbed their hands and forced them to shake his hands for oh the my- photo op. I mean, this, this guy uh, is, Dick. you know, I'm not saying he's a psychopath, but certainly, <laughs> <a> good... <laughs> certainly uh, looks like one right. in the way that he's been he's responding on the chart. to all of this. Yeah. Now, of course, when the fire season started to break out and was looking uh, like it was going to be our worst ever, a lot of the conservative uh, talking heads came out and tried to blame the Greenies, the Greens political party oh, and, here we and, go. and the environmentalist movement tried to blame them for preventing burn-offs. Something that we've done here forever is yeah. we have regular burn-offs to try and create fire breaks uh, to stop fires from spreading as quickly. Um, and uh, critics of the environmental movement are trying to blame the Greens party for the fires. The, but the fact that the Greens party are not and have never been in government uh, seems to <laughs> irrelevant. be irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, according to Professor Ross Bradstock, though, he's the director of the Centre for Environmental Risk Management of Bushfires at the University of Wollongong. He's been researching bushfires for 40 years. He says wow. uh, these are very tired and very old conspiracy theories that get a run after most major fires. So he said the, uh, the the trying to blame it on the Greens or environmentalists is without foundation. It's simply conspiracy stuff. It's an obvious attempt to deflect the conversation away from climate change. Um, the former New South Wales Fire and Rescue Commissioner, Greg Mullins, said blaming Greenies for stopping these important measures is a familiar populist and basically untrue claim. Right. So, uh, so, yeah, that's all bullshit, trying to blame it on the environmentalists, but that doesn't stop the conservatives from going there immediately. Yeah, you throw a whole bunch of things and you hope something sticks. And, um, you know, certain, I uh, how should I put this delicately, unthinking people who back the conservatives will hear a phrase that they like and they repeat it. It becomes the truth because it gets repeated so many times. And it, I guess maybe it gives a conservative government a little wiggle room to have their minions repeating some line that came, yeah, that just happened to work. And because no one wants to really buckle down, admit blame, get to work, have to, to change your priorities. I mean, that's a lot 
lot of work. Who in the fuck wants that? Just keep things the way they are. Yeah. By the way, I was mentioning before, Scotty from marketing went to the UN and gave this big speech. Um, The Climate Council in Australia, uh, which I think was defunded by the government in the last, by ScoMo in the last year or so, um, they were originally like a non-partisan government-funded climate organisation designed to keep Australia on track with our climate commitments, defunded by the Conservatives and then got, uh, you know, popular funding. Uh, just you know, donations right. and that kind of stuff. They they tore apart his speech. Um, he said, you know, we're taking real action. They said Australia's Paris target is to reduce our emissions by twenty six to twenty eight percent below two thousand and five levels by twenty thirty. This is one of the weakest targets amongst developed countries. <laughs> They, they pointed out that Australia is the 17th largest polluter in the world, bigger than 175 countries. We're the third largest exporter of fossil fuels in the world. Right. We have the highest emissions per capita in the developed world. Australia, the highest emissions Damn. per capita. And that was before this fire season. Now we're right. Running. Exactly. We're number one. We're number one. <laughs> um, so Scotty, ScoMo, Scotty from marketing, just got up at the UN and just lied through his fucking teeth um, yeah, about what we're doing. Well, I'm not I'm not saying he is a psychopath, but that but, is the kind you're of not thing saying he that's isn't. psychopath. Well, I'm yeah. not a psychiatrist, and I, 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 he hasn't been diagnosed in a clinical environment is what I'm saying. But what sure, I'm saying is sure. these are the kinds of lies that psychopaths tell. So yeah, uh, yeah. Um, this yeah. The, the, hey. you know this is this is what my book's all about. You, you let if you let psychopaths get into positions of power, they lie, cheat, and steal, and they destroy economies and destroy lives in the process. Yeah. Well, I remember when you first started talking about your book. I, I don't remember how many months ago that was. I I asked I asked what I thought was an obvious question, like a moment like this. I, I would think that someone who wants to be on the top, who wants to stay on the top, because the point of getting power is to keep power, to stay there so no one can touch you. If he was to, the second this started, because some of the fires, I think some of the first serious fires were back in September. When this started, for him to go, oh, no, let's rally the troops, let's throw a bunch of money at this, let's get let's get awareness. I mean, you, if if he had done something more proactive, thrown money at it, and, and earned, the belo- uh, earned the love of the people— um, it, to get maybe like a 92% rating approval of the country and whatever, you would, you would think that all politicians would love that, to be loved by the people, to be adored or whatever. And you made the point that, again, should have been obvious to me, was that they don't give a fuck. It's not about genuinely helping people, even if it's for selfish reasons to be loved or to get reelected. You lie, cheat, steal, do whatever you got to do, and then hopefully – when the re-election comes up or our crisis comes up, you can use your charm, your influence, your 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 connections or whatever, whatever to weather the storm and to just stay in office another day. It's really only about you. And I think sometimes I keep forgetting that. It's like, this is a problem that if he could help try to solve, he would be beloved by the people of his country, but he doesn't care enough to even fake that. Yeah. Well, he's trying to fake it now, but too little, too late. Right. All right. Why ruin that? Speaking of psychopaths. What, before, 
before we move on, mm. before we move on, when it comes to the uh, the fires, I think once again it's America that's going to come to the rush rescue. Have you heard of Kaylin Ward? What she is doing Kaylin, to raise money? Uh, this is the uh, woman taking the nude uh, photos. Yes, your hero. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's now, a, can I just say? Can I stop you here and say, will yeah, you stop sending yeah. me nudes? I'm not giving you any money. <laughs> No, the nudes will continue until I get what I want. And on Facebook, oh, right. I will put up nude photos of myself until there's $5 million donated to the cause. So beware. Everybody, you've been warned. In all seriousness, there's an Australian actress slash comedian uh -huh. who um, launched a, a, an online uh, fundraising campaign, raised I think $40 million in a period of a couple of days from online donations Damn. for this. Good for her. Yeah, Good for uh, her. people and, care. People do care. Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of celebrities uh, giving millions of dollars. Uh, Chris Hemsworth and uh, Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe didn't go to the Golden Globes. He's fighting fires in one of his properties in New South Wales. People, the celebrities have been out, but you know it's just a complete failure of police. Anyway, so to end that segment, look. Yes, as I said at the beginning. The rest of the world should see what's happening in Australia right now as the yeah. um, early warning signal for what's going to happen around the world. And it may not be fires; it may be sleet, snow, ice, floods, floods. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this shit is. And anyone who's still in denial, basically, take him at the back, hit him on the head with a piece of two before, and just <laughs> keep going because we. This yeah, is don't vote. Don't have a baby. This is right. the. This is the future that um, we are we we deserve, I guess. Our children don't deserve it, but we do because we let these people. They're going to get it. We let the psychopaths yeah. bring us well, Exactly. Next year, January, we'll be talking about this again, which is again just more proof. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on. Speaking of psychopaths, yeah. Donald Trump uh, assassinated. <laughs> Gave the order to assassinate oh. Qasem Soleimani right. um, yeah. recently. Um, so this guy, we we have talked about him before, Soleimani, briefly on our shows. Mm -hmm. we, we've never gone into much detail on him before, but he, he did come up during our Syrian Civil War series. Um, by all accounts, one of the most important uh, men in Iran. He was mm -hmm. top general of the Quds force, but also uh, kind of sort of like a combination, what I've read, of like a, a five-star general plus a vice president plus maybe a foreign yeah. minister... Uh, more right. than more than just a general, like we we don't have an equivalent in in most Western countries, but um, sort of a combination of all of those things wrapped up in one man. Extremely popular, it would seem, in Iran. He was seen as one of the heroes that defeated ISIS. Um, mm -hmm. I had I had some guy on the bullshit filter Facebook page this week. I don't know where he came from, but uh, first of all, he he he, uh, he started I don't know uh, he started defending the uh, assassination of Soleimani. Then um, you know sometimes when I'm in Facebook and I comment on threads, it'll do it as Cameron Riley, and other times it'll do it as the bullshit filter, and I don't know 
right. why Facebook's right. just do, why chops it. Anyway, I commented on, as Cameron Riley done this guy's thread, and then I commented later on as the bullshit. He goes, "I'm not talking to you, bullshit fellow. I was talking to Cameron Riley." I was like, hey, <laughs> "Guess you, guess you, guess you, guess you knew, guess you knew around these hair parts." <laughs> Um, Clark Kent, Superman, same thing. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then he starts blaming Iran for ISIS. Um, going, uh, uh, yeah, actually, Ooh. actually, there, sunshine. Um, I was nice to him. I ended up saying, "Look, um, look, you're obviously way out of your depth here. Uh, go, go listen to our Missing serious four. series and uh, come back, and we can have a yeah, chat. Come back." Um, so. <clears throat> Yes, the the assassination of Soleimani. Now, I I don't really want to get into the too much into the rights or wrongs of this. I guess right. What I'm mostly interested in is watching <clears throat> how this plays out in terms yes. of U.S. policy, um, the policy of your allies like Australia. Scotty from marketing, by the way, said he's he'd love to get involved in a scrap with Iran. Just give him the give him the Fuck. signal. He's there, ready to go. Yeah. <coughs> Jesus. Uh, yes, Jesus. Was- Jesus told him, "Go kill some people in Iran for me. Go kill some darkies in Iran for me, Scotty." The dark. <laughs> you know, God. Jesus loves that. Where's Right. Whereas Boris Johnson was a little more measured. It's like, well, I got to pretend I got to not piss this guy off, but there's no way in hell we could possibly get involved in any fighting right now. They still got to do Brexit. So I think this is just another example of Trump. And you, and you have to, I mean, everybody knows this. Trump does not have an overall plan. He makes decisions day in, day out based on whatever, maybe whatever he ate the night before, but there is no overreaching plan or goal. He's just winging it. And now we all have have to live with it mm. well apparently the story seems to be that uh you know th- there was these skirmishes going on in iran uh, mm-hmm. iran would take out an american america would take out some iranians or in iraq right um tit for tat stuff going on and this has been going back as we know many many months with the drones and the the ships in the straits of Hormuz oh, yeah. that we talked about months ago um, and then apparently, you know, Trump's generals were giving him a range of options, and they always have Pick like they always have the extreme options. On one hand, you can send him some roses, <laughs> send around a hundred dozen red roses, and say I right. love you, and, and some dick pics. So that's on the one end. On the other Once, end, okay. The other crazy right. end is like we could assassinate Soleimani, and then we it, can get to him. Yeah, but then in right. the middle, there's like, well, you know, we could do something more proportionate. Expecting, right. for some reason, they are expecting him to pick a proportionate response. And he goes, yeah, yeah, now let's take out Soleimani. And they're like, oh, uh, what? <laughs> now, what they, they, they've come out. I mean, there's been anonymous sources have come out, supposedly representing these generals, going, wow, we never expected Trump to pick the crazy option. Like, really? Hello? What? Have you not met the man? <laughs> oh, Golden Toilet. Come on. You who, didn't who paid expect a porn star? Trump Come on. to pick yeah. the crazy option. I think that tells us everything we need to know about your level of intelligence. Right. Um, <laughs> so, but look, okay, look, uh, 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 look, I've talked enough. You, you get started. You give me your blurb yeah. on this and then I'll, I'll well, come back in. I, 
I guess the thing is, is okay, so, uh, and, you know, obviously as an American, we literally kill a leader um, of their country. It's not like he was just some, you know, quote unquote general just because his friends and whatever started calling him a general. He's a legitimate general. He's a part of a military of Iran that, yes, we've been going on on and off, you know, for quite some time. But the point is, there are rules, even when it's, when there's a Cold War, even when there's a hot war, there are rules you go by. And if you take out someone's, you know, a general or, or like the number two person in a, in a country, there's going to be retaliation. And for Trump or, and for his minions to go, okay, look, yes, we did kick you in the nuts, but if you retaliate, it's on. You cannot retaliate. Whatever you do, if you do that, it will be World War Three. Us and our willing, our, I have a coalition of the willing or whatever will come after you to literally go after this guy and then dare Iran to somehow retaliate or to be upset by this and to get upset with them if they even think about retaliating is completely insane to me. Something is going to happen. I haven't been able to reach my brother in a couple of days who's with the 10th Mountain Infantry Division. I think he might have gone, just given his orders and told to go, because I know there's like 3,000 troops that are being sent over there um, within 24 hours. And so the point is, I mean, this was unthought out. And we have no idea what's going to happen. We don't know what Iran's going to do, but we're ready to blow them out of the uh, out of the water. And the, I think the one thing that scares me more than anything else, and we don't have to go into the details. And you, I'm sure you've seen this on YouTube. It's General Wesley's Clark speech about five, excuse me, about seven countries in five years: Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, Syria, Iran, Lebanon, and Sudan. That is on the list. I wonder if there's still people who have been in various positions since the time of Bush who are trying to finish that up. I have no idea. But the point is, we've for the last three years, we've made jokes about Bush. He's an idiot. He's out of his depth. He has no political experience. He doesn't really have a philosophy when it comes to government or foreign policy. He just sees what he sees on the t television, and he thinks generals and bombs are cool. And now he's made a decision— that could get us into a war. He has no mean, idea what he's doing. He has sorry. no sense of proportion. Yeah, yeah. I think he said Bush. Did you mean Trump? Oh, Bush. Trump. Yeah, I apologize. Uh, yeah, so Trump, he has no sense of what he's doing. But the point is, so we have to live with this, and there is no master plan. I guess we just wait for Iran to do something, and then we'll decide what we want to do. That's not foreign policy. That's two kids in a schoolyard, except for there's, there's bombs and missiles and civilians uh, involved as well. Yeah, so uh, well, let's start with the um, <clears throat> let's start with a little bit of the uh, rights and wrongs, the ethics and morals, and trying to dispel some mm -hmm. of the American propaganda around this. Um, well, one of the things that I, I I predicted immediately when this happened on our Facebook page is that we would we would see the Democrats particularly the presidential candidates at the moment, mm -hmm. uh, rapidly fall into line with this. Um, yeah. Know, they will bitch and moan at a surface level about how Trump did it or when Trump did it and the ifs of, you know, they'll be, they'll be like... Yeah, they'll find something. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, they'll, they'll find some way to criticise Trump and the Republicans as part of it. But generally speaking, they will get on board because the Democrats, outside of the obvious ones, uh, the, the AOCs, the Bernie Sanders, the ones that voted nay for the Pentagon budget a couple of weeks ago that we talked about, 
The vast majority yes. of the Democrats are pro-war and pro-American supremacy, pro-American global domination. And mm -hmm. uh, very quickly, they started to prove me right here. And I want to use some of these examples um, to, to look at the ethics of the situation to get us into that. The first one I saw was Robert Reich, who was Bill Clinton's mm -hmm. Secretary of Labor. He posted uh, a Facebook message that I saw. He said, uh, the real issue underlying Trump's assassination of Qasem Soleimani is not whether the Iranian general posed a danger to the United States. He almost certainly did. The underlying right. issue is that Donald Trump cannot be trusted to lead America into another war. Mm. Okay. Um, so this whole... Soleimani was a danger to the United States. Really? In what way was Soleimani a danger to the United States? Does anyone really think Iran, Soleimani and or Iran, is going to bomb the United States, invade the United States? Uh, really? Is that something that's a, really an option on the table? And if not... <laughs> How right. was Soleimani a danger to the United States, Ray? But, well, here's the best I can give you. Supposedly, after the United States invaded Iraq in 2003, Soleimani began directing militant groups to carry out attacks against U.S. troops and bases, supposedly over the years, years killing about 600 American personnel, military and civilian. So you could easily argue, and I get this, that if they weren't there in the first fucking place, uh, he wouldn't have been able to have done it. Now, that's not proof that he's done it because that's coming from the State Department. And as we know, occasionally our State Department and everybody's State Department lies because they're trying to push a certain agenda. So supposedly he has been directing forces outside of Iran and some of the things they have been going after besides ISIS, which good for him for taking them on. And he did. He absolutely did help fight the ISIS elements in Iraq. But supposedly he was also gunning for American troops after 2003 when we went in. That's the best I can give you. Yeah. Well... Exactly as you said, like America. So let's let's recap. America illegally invaded Iraq on false pretenses. <laughs> yeah, and, that's true. And yeah. and and Soleimani may and quite possibly did uh, provide some of the resistance to that invasion, ending in the deaths mm -hmm. of U.S. troops. And so he's a murderer now because he tried to. Well, we're not. He killed. Yeah, he yeah. America's not. Yeah. yeah. Millions of Iraqis yeah. dead over the last 20 years because of American incursions in the First and Second Gulf War. But no, Soleimani's the murderer, not uh, the Americans who had legally invaded right. the country uh, and installed a puppet yeah. Yeah. government, which has now thrown them out or trying to throw America out of Iraq. Exactly. But also, exactly. back during the invasion of Iraq, 83%, according to numbers I've seen, of US troop deaths were at the hands of the Sunni resistance. 17% uh, were at the hands right. of Shia resistance. Uh, so 83% of US troop deaths were Sunni. I mean, partly you could say that was Iraqi Sunnis, but uh, you know the, the center of Sunni activity in the Middle East is Saudi Arabia. So yes. are they going to bomb the palace at Riyadh next? Is that... Is, no. No. 
as long as their checks clear, mm. no. Mm. Is that what you wanted to hear? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> like so, like this. So Robert Reich was the first one. Like a danger to the United States. Like fuck off with that bullshit. I mean, look, maybe there is a remote chance that Iran could attack the United States with chemical weapons or biological weapons or or they don't have nukes as far as we know but look that's a remote right. possibility and they haven't declared war on the united states uh at least officially and until this happened so like it, it's it's just complete nonsense um complete nonsense that he's a danger to the united states now he may have attacked uh, a few u.s targets in iraq uh, the U.S. Embassy, that kind of thing. He may have been mm-hmm. partially involved in supporting the the attack on that recently. But again, this is a U.S. base in a country that the U.S. invaded illegally. I mean, he's he's part yeah. of the resistance to get the United States out of the country that you illegally invaded and took over. So yeah, people are pissed and Iran scared. Are they next? I mean, that's a legitimate question. Well, they, so who knows? they've been scared for, for decades uh, yeah. that the U.S. is going to attack. Yes. So what's what's happening here is yeah. the, the so-called left, as I refer to them, are saying, yeah, sure, killing Soleimani was the right thing to do. We just don't like it that Trump did it. The next one I saw was uh, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren tweeted that he was a murderer, Soleimani. Not Trump, Soleimani. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she... <laughs> She tweeted, Soleimani was a murderer responsible for the deaths of thousands, including hundreds of Americans. Now, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, who were those thousands? She she doesn't say. Who were the hundreds of Americans? She doesn't say. I mean, the, the, the ISIS members that he fought, are they the thousands that she's talking about? The hundreds of Americans, as you say, are probably the US troops that were illegally and illegitimately in Iraq. Uh, So that doesn't count. But just just the fact that even somebody like Elizabeth Warren, who's supposedly one of the more progressive Democratic candidates, would just come out and start calling a general of an army uh, who assisted the US in fighting ISIS a murderer without providing any context or evidence, um, just goes to show you how the Democrats mostly will fall into yeah. line with the military narrative, the pro-US military narrative here. The truth is, yeah. if you take every American killed, including and since 9-11, and the, the wars that have resulted in the Middle East, the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan and fighting ISIS, all of the conflicts, all of the terrorist acts, well over 90% of them have been killed by Sunni Muslims, financed and supported out of Saudi Arabia and its satellites, mm-hmm. including, of course, the, right. the 9-11 attackers were Saudi, trained by Saudis, financed by the Saudis. Less than 10% of Americans right. killed since 9-11 have been killed by Shia Muslims tied to Iran. And those were probably mostly... U.S. troops that were illegally and illegitimately invading Iraq. Yeah. Well, one one article I read was uh, the guy was being kind of tongue-in-cheek. He said, have you heard anybody talking about Soleimani lately? I haven't heard anything from this guy about this guy for a very long time. And then suddenly he's, you know, 
he's a martyr now because of what Trump did. And the other part of it was, and I don't have, uh, where's that bear with me? Uh, um, sometime in, um, I think mid to late 2019, when uh, the the sanctions were really hurting Iran and the government raised gas prices or oil prices like 300 percent, the people were pissed off. They're taking to the streets. You know, uh, there are hundreds and thousands of people in the streets, young and working class protesters, because obviously they can't afford to live life anymore. They want they order for these. They uh, want these religious leaders to step down. There's a lot of protests going on. You know, Tehran was dealing with a very impressive headache it had, it had because of our sanctions, which is exactly what we want. Then we come along, we kill this guy, we rally the troops around this dead body, around their flag, around the, the cause of self-defense. I mean, if you're going to use sanctions to cripple a country, okay, but then don't give them their government a pass by, by letting everybody mourn over this guy and then come back together. It's just bad foreign policy. You know, pick something and stick with it. It, it just shows that Trump is just literally making up decisions as it goes along well yes maybe but um look and it might have something to do with the fact that the impeachment trial is going on and the election's coming no. up and you know I'm crazy sure, talk I'm, I'm sure that fact is into it but at the end oh, of yeah. the, but at the end of the day we have to keep in mind that uh large chunks of the american economy survive on war uh this is why oh, yeah Trump uh, increased the Pentagon budget just a couple of weeks ago and why the vast majority of the Democrats supported it. So, yeah, you can you can blame some of it on Trump being crazy and impeachment and election and all that kind of stuff. Some of that is probably true, probably fits into the calculation. But at the end of the day, you've got to remember that there's a huge chunk of the American economy that wants war, that relies on war, that yes. needs war. And, war is good. It is good for them in the economy. I mean, right. not good necessarily for the economy in general. I mean, trillions of dollars spent on wars in the Middle East since 9-11. Uh, mm -hmm. Don't go to uh, American infrastructure or education or health care. Uh, but they end up in the pockets of a handful of rich guys uh, who, who yeah. get Pentagon contracts. So yeah. good for them. But again, we like whenever anyone's pointing, and I've jumped into a bunch of different forums uh, pointing this out over the last week, whenever anyone's pointing the finger at Iran, well, Iran this and Iran that and Iran did this, let's you, you got to keep it in context. The US mm -hmm. overthrew the democratically elected president of Iran in 1953 and installed the Shah, a puppet dictator who ran a brutal, oppressive police state for 26 years, before being toppled by the Ayatollah Khomeini in uh, 1979. Then, mm -hmm. then the U.S. was so upset about that that they financed and supported Saddam Hussein's war on Iran, illegally and, selling, uh, illegally and secretly selling weapons to Iran as part of the Iran-Contra thing behind the scenes under Reagan uh, and Bush right. for the next eight years. They, they sold Saddam chemical and biological weapons to attack the Iranians with. When that attempt to destroy the Iranian government failed, the US implemented illegal sanctions. And I'll remind everyone again that unilateral sanctions are illegal under international law against Iran for decades, trying to cripple their economy, destroying the lives of their citizens. Then 
In 2003, when the US illegally invaded Iraq, killing Saddam Hussein, installing a corrupt and unpopular puppet government, throwing hundreds of innocent Iraqis and other Middle Easterners into secret CIA black camp torture camps like Abu Ghraib without due process, uh, they created a power vacuum that was filled by thousands of Saddam's former angry soldiers who became ISIL, mm-hmm. a.k.a. ISIS, right. that then went on and terrorized the Middle East. So the U.S. has built this. Before they overthrew the president of Iran in 1953, the U.S. was on friendly terms with Iran. Iran's great enemies yeah. in the early 20th century weren't the United States. It was Britain and Russia were the people yeah. that Iran... That <laughs> yeah. yeah. The yeah. U.S. were the good guys to the Iranians up until the CIA came in and overthrew uh, Mossadegh in 1953 because for mm-hmm. no other reason than he wanted to nationalise their oil interests because the British had fucked him over mm-hmm. on a deal and were refusing right. to come to the table. And they wanted right. a better deal. And uh, the U.S. came in, fucked over Mossadegh and fucked over the British in the process and took a big chunk of Iranian oil on the back end. Mm. So... Right. Uh, Yeah, look, so the Iranians have been fighting a defensive uh, operation against American incursion, both at home and internationally, uh, ever since then. So don't point the fingers at the Iranians as the bad guys here. The Iranians have been defending themselves against America since 1953. And and then people will say, oh, that's all old history. Fuck you, that's all old history. You don't get to say that's old history unless your country was invaded and you had a puppet dictator installed by the Americans. Fuck you with all that shit. The great, the, 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 the funny thing about that is people will say, oh, well, that's all old history. It doesn't matter anymore. But when it comes to the Soviet Union and the fact, right. the, the reason oh. that NATO has missiles all around the Russian border pointing at Russia, they were like, well, you know, uh, look what Russia did to Romania and uh, Poland and these places uh, a yeah. hundred years ago. We go, well, that's old history. Oh no! So it's yeah, this. It's not to me. It's this. <laughs> yeah. It's this different rules uh, when America's uh, concerned. I, story, you know. Well, and the other the other point is, it, okay, you could be from country X. It doesn't matter what you are, but your grandfather, your father, and your uncles and your older brother can tell you about country Y has been fucking with you, the people of country X, ever since they can remember, taking stuff, bombing. Now there's drones. There could be literally random death from the sky. You'll never know what happens. They're taking your oil. Um, I mean, it, you're going to hate and want to get back at those people. It doesn't matter. So there's no such thing as old history. And the other part of it is that other part of General Wesley Clark's speech was he kind of turns to the audience because he's sitting on the stage and he turns to the audience and he goes, you know, all the stuff that's going on in the Middle East, all this has been going on before and after 9-11, it just would not be happening, in my opinion, if there wasn't the oil. Uh, The Middle East would be a lot like Africa, maybe being ignored and people in Africa or Middle East would be begging people to come in, but it's the oil. We all need it. We all want it. There's only so much of it. We got to fight each other for it, whether it's us or Russia or China, whatever. We're just doing what we can to get as much of it we can and to make sure the other players don't get as much as they want. It's all about geopolitics, resources, and money. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's about oil and it's about regional dominance. Um, Yes. 
So I want to talk a little bit about the ethics of preemptive assassination. Got into a big mm-hmm. fight mm-hmm. with my wife uh, over the dinner oh. table on uh, uh, Christmas over this. My American, my American wife. Um, every now and right. again, like 99% of the time when I'm talking about America, she mm-hmm. agrees with me. Well, 1% of the time, her red, white, and blue flag goes up and she's like, <laughs> fuck you talking about my country like that. I'm like, oh, okay. It's, right. It's one, of, it's one of those days. Here we it? go. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <clears throat> Please. Yes. Peter Singer, the uh, Australian ethicist based in the United States. Now, I did have him on a podcast many years oh, cool. ago. Um he gave a press conference uh, uh, in Melbourne, I think, <clears throat> recently, where he was talking about the uh, ethics behind the the assassination um, mm-hmm. and pointing out that this is really dodgy territory. Okay, so the American yeah. position, Trump and, and all of the right-wing uh, and, and some of the left-wing commentators coming out and saying, well, you know, he posed an imminent threat to American lives and we had to take him out. It's self-defense. We had to take him out. Mm. Uh, Now, this is obviously uh, quite a difficult area of international law and also ethics. And I'm not going to claim, I mean, I don't claim to be an expert. I know nobody knows more about international law than you, Ray, but... (laughs) Right. This is yeah. uh, this is a very difficult period. This whole thing of extrajudicial, extrajudicial assassination <clears throat> carried out by drone mm-hmm. strikes is becoming more and more common, uh, particularly by the United States. And uh, somebody pointed out to me an article from Craig Murray talking about something called the Bethlehem Doctrine of Preemptive Self-Defense. You ever heard of that Mm. before? No, please enlighten me. I shall. Thank you for asking. Uh, Daniel Daniel Bethlehem uh, is who it's named after, not the city of Jesus's uh, perhaps birth. (laughs) Sir Daniel Bethlehem, he's a British barrister, former legal advisor to the United Kingdom. And before that... He was a legal advisor mm-hmm. to the Netanyahu government in Israel, where he cooked okay. up this idea of preemptive self-defense. And uh, Tony mm-hmm. Blair liked it so much, he got him in to be the chief legal advisor to his government uh, to justify yeah. the invasion of Iraq. Uh, now, Bethlehem wrote a paper on this back uh, just after the invasion of Iraq where basically he's trying to create a legal justification for extrajudicial assassination, uh, taking mm-hmm. people out by saying that they're an imminent threat or they're, they're about there was an imminent attack about to happen. But what Craig Murray points out is that according to the Bethlehem doctrine, doctrine the word imminent, as used in Bethlehem's thinking, uh, and, right. and, and Pompeo has used this word uh, to justify the Soleimani attack, doesn't have its normal meanings of soon or about to happen. An attack may be huh. deemed imminent, even if you know no details of it or when it might occur. 
you just decide right. that he's probably at some point in the future a danger and so you're justified in taking him out. Now, now this goes back uh, to... I did some reading on the history of self-defense as, uh, as an argument for violence. Apparently, it, it goes back to something called the Caroline Test from the Caroline Affair. You familiar with that mm -hmm. um, early early U.S. history, the Caroline Affair? I mean, I've slept with someone named Caroline, but I don't mm. think that's what you're talking about. Did she pass the Caroline test? <laughs> oh, well, she didn't charge me. That's rare. Uh, but no, please, please continue. Because she ran screaming from the room. Uh... Hey, she didn't charge. Let's just focus on that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let me have that. In uh, this is a thing that happened in 1837 involving the United States, Britain, and the Canadian independence movement. And uh, basically, at the end of the day, the, the British attacked uh, a, a steamboat called the Caroline. Um, they mm -hmm. said, yeah, it was being used for nefarious purposes. And so we just decided we'd blow it up. And right. uh, the, the sort of whole argument of anticipatory self-defense came out of that. Your uh, your uh, uh, famous uh, gentleman by the name of Daniel Webster. Daniel yeah, Daniel Webster from New Hampshire and Massachusetts. Right, Mister Dick Dictionary. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, Mister Dictionary. No, there's a Webster Dictionary. Yeah. No, is that a different Dick? <laughs> sorry, sorry, I get my dicks mixed up. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> don't cross the decks. Why am I surprised? Um, yeah, so Daniel Webster, a big American uh, uh, jurisprudence expert um, in the in the early days. He was the Secretary of State under Harrison, Tyler, and Fillmore, and Ooh, okay. uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway. So he uh, put together this uh, this this test, the Caroline test, to determine whether or not something can truly be called self-defense if you strike first. Ah, the principle okay. states that the necessity for self-defense must be instant, overwhelming, and leaving no choice of means and no moment for deliberation, according to Webster. Right. So basically, Patience. you know. You have to act now. There's no other option. You've got to get it done. And and, and the, the Caroline test, the Webster formula, has apparently been the basis for international law on this ever since. Until, mm -hmm. until Daniel Bethlehem came along and said, well, no, we can, we can, we can just say that imminent is uh, something different. You know, something that could potentially happen in the future, even though we have no details. Like... I had this uh, crazy guy on our forum defending the Soleimani assassination, saying, "Well, he was, he was, it was to prevent an imminent attack." And I said, "Oh yeah, where was the attack going to be?" And he goes, "Well, it was imminent. Yeah, where, where, where was it? And who <laughs> where, was it against? Where was it going to take place?" Yeah. Well, he goes, "Look, just look it up, Google it." Okay, well, no, you tell me. You're the one who said it. Oh, you're an idiot. Just you know, everyone <laughs> said there was an imminent attack. Yeah, where where was it going to oh, be? The God. thing is, is 
you know, as far as we're aware, there was nothing uh, to say that there was an imminent attack going to happen. Just like Saddam, the invasion of Iraq was justified by the US and the UK and Australia because Saddam was about to attack the US with weapons of mass destruction. As we all now know, that was complete and utter fabrication. It was bullshit. And this is the problem with this Bethlehem doctrine uh, is they can just say, oh, we, we did it to stop an imminent attack, even though there's no evidence to suggest that. I'm sorry, I have to just ask real quick. It sounds like you're saying uh, imminent is in the is in the eye of the beholder. It's whatever I think it is, as opposed to some standard, some international standard. Yeah, like it, it, it's a it's a concept now. Imminent can mean well, potentially sometime in the future. Um, could alternate facts. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. So this is what we're dealing with now. This is how they're trying to justify uh, Mm -hmm. basic assassination. They're assassinating people all all over the world. We talked about some numbers on our last Bullshit Filter show. Thousands of people killed by US drone strikes in the last couple of years. And the justification for all of them is, oh, well, they posed an imminent threat. Right. Uh, but we, there's no evidence. Uh, Catchphrase. There's no. There's no trial. There's no evidence. That's right. the the legal justification. It hasn't really been tested uh, in the International Criminal Court. Do you know why? Because America's not part of the International Criminal Court. <laughs> we know what we're doing. Come on. Yeah. Come on. So it's a bit. We know what we're doing. It's a little bit hard to say where this falls into uh, international law, but that's basically how it's being justified. Um, you know, and one of the other problems with using the Bethlehem Doctrine when it comes to Soleimani in particular is the Bethlehem Doctrine uh, specifically refers to non-state actors, uh, basically, mm-hmm. quote unquote, terrorists. People that are just right. Right, you, you can take out terrorists now. Soleimani was definitely a state actor. He was yes an Iranian uh, general. So even yeah. using the Bethlehem doctrine to justify this is uh, ludicrous. Uh, taking him right. out in Iraq, like a lot of people have said, this would be like taking out an American five star general. And there was a couple of other people involved as well, other military leaders taken out in his car. His car was blown yes. up at Baghdad International Airport. It'd be like some American senior five-star generals being at an airport in Mexico City and Russia blowing yeah. up their car and taking them out. I mean, and then saying, oh, well, they posed a potential threat to us at some point in the future. I mean, if it happened to America, Americans would be fucking outraged. Oh, but be, yeah. you even have Democrats justifying it when it comes to Soleimani. And I want to point out again the, uh, it's not Iran that overthrew the government of America and financed an invasion of America. <laughs> America is the bad guy. And there's no if, buts or maybes. There's no two ways of looking at this. When it comes to US-Iranian relations since the 1950s, America is the bad guy. There's no if, buts or maybes. Bad guy for bad reasons. You didn't overthrow Mossadegh because he was a bad guy. He was an old, right. much beloved guy who came out of retirement to lead the country during a difficult period. His crime was to nationalize the oil interests of the country. Yeah. And you overthrew him and installed a brutal dictator. 
So everything that's happened since then, you know, your, the, your installation of the dictatorship, your, your finance and support for Saddam's invasion, your economic sanctions, etc., etc. People point to, oh, what about their support for Hezbollah? What about their support for other militias? Yeah, well, what are these uh, militias doing? They're trying to defend Muslim countries from incursions. That's, that's mm-hmm. what they're trying to do. They're, they're invited into places like Lebanon. They were invited into places like Iraq. And now Iran has is more support in Iraq than the United States. Now, and I guess the, the other great thing about this is the Iraqi government now has told the Americans to get the fuck out of the country, get all your troops and fuck off. Right. And Trump has said, oh, well, we're yeah. going to hit you with sanctions now for telling us to leave. So this, so this is, it's even... <sighs> You know, we're gonna. Trump said he's gonna bomb fifty-two Iranian cultural, important cultural sites if the Iranians retaliate for his retaliation. Right. And Jesus. And uh, if the Iraqis continue to insist America leaves, he's going to crush Iraq with the worst sanctions the world has ever seen, according to Trump. Uh, Which, by the way, are illegal. So this is why people like Noam Chomsky refer to the United States as a rogue state. And it's not just because mm. of Trump. You know, this isn't happening. Right. Obama was assassinating people with drones and sanctions against Iran existed under Obama. Yeah, he tried to do a deal towards the end, and I give him credit for that, the the, the, the nuclear deal for the release of sanctions, removal or, or, or diminution of sanctions. Right. Give him credit for that. But he was assassinating people and the sanctions existed on his watch. Um, so did CIA torture sites, um, including Gitmo, which is still around. Um, it happened under Clinton. Uh, you know, it, the the the, the uh, Iranian uh, hostage, the, the Iranian revolution uh, overthrowing the Shah happened on Jimmy Carter's watch. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not just Rep- Trump. It's not just Republicans. This has been consistent. American policy towards the world since World War Two. Since you came out of World War Two as the sole global yeah. superpower, uh, American foreign policy has been to put your boot on the throat of every country that didn't get on board with the American bloc and and play by America's playbook. Uh, now, that doesn't make America, you know, one guy, an Aussie guy, I've been having a debate with, says, oh, well, you think America's, you know, the, the most evil country that ever lived? And I said, no, America's just, a, I think, no different from any other imperial power that's ever mm-hmm. been. It just so happens that when America became an imperial power after World War II, it was the last man standing. It was, it was economically and militarily. Right. Big dog. Yeah, yes. yeah, had no competition economically or militarily, really, at the end of World War II because of the luck where it was geographically located, didn't get involved very heavily in World War II, got involved in World War II very, very late in the game, particularly in the, mm-hmm. in the um, European front after the, the right. Soviets had taken the brunt of uh, the Nazis and had started to cripple oh, yes. the Nazi power. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, America's, uh, America came out of World War II very, very well, partially through luck, partially through your uh, economic uh, and production capabilities, 
that you had developed mm-hmm. um, over the previous sort of 50, 70 years. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's a fact. You were able to produce a lot of military equipment very, very quickly. But a lot of yeah. it was also luck. I mean, you, you, you weren't getting carpet bombed by the Luftwaffe um, from 1939 for a few years. If that had happened, he, you know, if Hitler had been able to get his planes to the United States, he might have bombed the fuck out oh, of yeah. all of your factories before you could produce your tanks and guns and jeeps and, and bullets. Um, oh, yeah. And, and you would have been fucked. But anyway. Well, I guess the thing for now when it comes to Iran is we have to, I guess we have no choice. We have to wait to see what happens. And this isn't just some other country. This is a country that has a professional, experienced military. They have oil and they have a lot of big friends. So we'll just see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, the Iranians are threatening to retaliate against Mar-a-Lago, which I thought was kind of classic. Uh, and Trump properties. <laughs> I mean, look, and the other point is, the other thing that I predicted, and we'll see how this plays out. Like, I'm mostly interested in whether or not this is 1991 or 2001 all over again, where the American mm-hmm. media and the Democrats just fall into line with the militaristic right. propaganda Lockstep. and the beat of the war drums. But one of the yeah. things that I predicted, uh, apart from the Democrats falling into line, is that the media will portray Iran as a genuine military uh, threat to the United States when Iran's military budget last year was about 3% of the U.S.'s military budget. Economically, militarily, they could probably put a lot of boots on the ground in the Middle East, but economically and militarily, Iran is a gnat compared yeah. to the United States. They know that. Everyone knows that. I've had some Americans on Facebook saying, well, we did this in order to show them that we can... Actually, it was an, an Aussie who said this, Julian Toll. Um, we, we did this to show them... America did it to show them that they can hit them anywhere. Like, well, we everyone fucking knows <laughs> America can hit anyone anywhere. I mean, because we have been. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows. Yeah. We, we, we've Proven. known that since nineteen four since August 1945. <laughs> I mean, we don't... You don't need to demonstrate yeah. that. We know that, duh. Um, so it's not about sending a message. <clears throat> yeah, uh, We know you, you have the capability uh, to do this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what... I, I don't have any predictions on what Iran will do, how no. it will respond, uh, or whether or not Russia and China will get involved to support Iran because um, they both have strong economic ties to Iran. But uh, I will be interested mostly to see, if it does continue to escalate, how the psychopaths in charge of the American economy Mm, get on board and what we will do on the show uh, on a regular basis over the next couple of months is i will try and pay attention to the media coverage if any of you listening come across stories in the coverage of it in the media you think is interesting continue to send it to me as some of you have already been doing thank you for that send me your stories send me your articles help me by pulling them apart you know put your run your own analysis filter over them and uh, send them to me with your notes. I'll give you credit uh, when you you know do your own analysis that I use on the show. But I really want to see um, uh, how this plays out. Yeah. All right. Well. Good luck with the fires. 
Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, get mm. a copy of my book if you haven't already. You cheap, cheap fucking cunts. Just go buy <laughs> copies of my book. What a salesman. Facebook it. Tweet right. about it. <laughs> I spent eight years <laughs> writing this book. And look, honestly, here's yes. my thing on the book. It's it could be complete shit as a book. I mean, I I I, I don't claim to be a writer. I don't claim to be anything. Uh, I'm obviously not a psychiatrist. But here's what I will say. I do think the central idea to the book that psychopaths are running the world and that's our that's the number one threat, existential yes. threat to our planet and all the other problems, climate change, bombing Iran, you name it, air wealth disparity, economic inequality, all that kind of stuff, all of these problems, corporations taking over the political system, etc., all of these things tied together mm -hmm. by the fact that psychopaths are in control of our political system, business, religions, the military, law enforcement, etc. And uh, we need to do something about that. That is the number one problem. And it's not getting focused on enough. It's not getting talked about enough. It's not yet at a level where everyone was... Like, we need to get psychopaths empowered to the same point that Middle East wars are over oil. Now, I've said this before, but I remember during the first Gulf War, uh, my, mm -hmm. Le my Lebanese friends in Melbourne told me it was all about oil. I was 21. I was like, what, really? And when I said it to other people, oh, it's all about oil, they're like, oh, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. Right. Oh, well, <laughs> now we know. 10 years yeah, later, now we know. 10 years later, during the yeah. second Iraq invasion, Everyone was like, well, it's about oil, obviously. Uh, so within 10 years, <laughs> America's invasion of Middle Eastern countries being due to oil went from being, you're a crazy fucking conspiracy theorist to, well, of course, everyone knows that. Um, yeah, yeah. Here we that are nearly 20 years later. I'm saying that I want to get the fact that psychopaths are the biggest problem facing the world today as commonplace as that was. That's my goal for the next 10 years is to get people going, Oh, well, yeah, psychopaths. Yeah, that's our number one problem. Here's my other prediction, my final prediction for this show. Uh, some, yeah. Within six months, someone else way more famous than I will come out with a book making the same argument as mine and it'll, it'll be a bestseller. They'll be, on, they'll be yeah. on the New York Times bestseller list. They'll be on television stations, <laughs> completely interviewed. They'll be famous. They'll take credit right. for it. And I'll be, hello, because that happened to me with podcasting. <laughs> And then my free my book on free will came out six months before Sam right. Harris's book on free will, and everyone's going, "Oh, Sam Harris, oh. you're a fucking genius." Um, oh. If history Can we is assume? true, right. uh, somebody will come out with a book saying it's all psychopaths six months from now, and uh, and uh, I'll be yeah. I'll well. be I'll be left in the dustbins of history. But say that. <laughs> Oh, you're a trailblazer in your own particular small way. In my own mind. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, stay safe, particularly Australian yes. listeners in the southern yes. states. And um, as Ray always says. I fucked your wife. Uh, so uh, we're still here. Um, 8th of yes. January, my time. I, we'd just finished our show and R yeah. Ray, Ray was gas bagging to me about something else. <laughs> and I just happened to, you know, flick over to my news page to find that while we were recording the show, 
Iran fired dozens of ballistic missiles at US targets in Iraq. Um, So... Shit. It's on. It is on. It is on. Um, We'll wait to see what America's retaliation for the Iranian retaliation of the American retaliation is... (laughs) Jesus. But... uh, yeah, God, I mean, real. no one can predict how this is going to turn out. But I do, well, you know, I do expect Trump to go all out here at this juncture. Yeah. And, um, you know, the question then again is, where's Russia and China going to land on this? Right. Um, are they going to stay out of it or are they going to get involved uh, directly and or indirectly? We don't know. <laughs> So uh, yeah. I'm just looking at some video from the files. footage on the uh, semi-official news agency of the government of Iran of the launch of missiles. Lots and lots right. and lots of missiles um, heading towards now, Iraq. I wasn't sure if we were going to talk about it tonight, but a lot of the analysts that I was watching were saying that they expected, um, because like you were saying earlier, um, Iran knows that it can't go toe-to-toe with America. We spend billions of dollars on our on our weapons, whatever, but they were thinking there would be guerrilla-style tactics because they do have allies in Syria, Iraq, Yemen, Lebanon, and Israel. They've got you know Hezbollah and Hamas, and they've got Shia militia all over the place. So if they wanted to coordinate some... Uh, I guess, region-wide attacks, they could have done that, but they did this instead. So maybe they are truly as pissed as um, as their news reports say that they are, and they're just going for it. So like you said, we have no idea what's going to happen next and how this is ever going to end. Yeah. Fuck. Jesus. Well, yeah. There you go. We'll be back, <sighs> yeah. with, I guess, next week with uh, an update. Best of luck to all of the people in the Middle East. Yes. I am fucking exhausted. Damn, I am the wrong one. Jesus. I can't believe I'm saying this, but if you can move off my penis. My penis. They they can handle it.